O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 105, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, May the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. Thank you for being along today. We are in the book of Zechariah today, in Zechariah 4, 1 to 14. We are in Ephesians 4, 17 to 32, and then Matthew 9, 1 to 8. So what we're going to look at has to do with covenant, but it also has to do with, with what kind of people should we be given what he has done for us. And so in the book of Zechariah, in this particular passage for today, it's a, a vision that the Lord gives Zechariah. An angel is walking with him and talking with him and, and wakes him and says, what do you see? Hello. <laughs> Good morning. I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips, L-I-P-S, on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And that's an important thing to know and to follow. If you ever think that God's shown you something, then the right thing to do is to ponder it, certainly, but it's also to ask him what it means. Sometimes we get caught up in in believing that, that we can't understand things of God. And if he shows us something, then he's trying to tell us something. If you believe that you've been given a vision of God, then there's got to be a reason that he's given that to you. And And what he wants is for you to seek him. It's the greatest encouragement to seeking him that you could ever imagine for God to be able to speak to you and to encourage you in that way. And so it's important for us not to get caught up in the idea of going and asking somebody else what everything means. We've got to just ask him ourselves because that's the way we continue to deepen that relationship. If, he's, if someone speaks to you, then what they want is if they ask you a question, then what they want is for you to pursue that. And so to not pursue it with God is the biggest mistake we can make because we're we're teaching ourselves to believe what's not true, which is that I'm not capable of understanding what God is saying, and it's also putting too much trust in other people. And so it's important for us to ask exactly what happens here, and that's that Zechariah says, Do, <clears throat> what are these, my Lord? And then the angel said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. If you don't understand, it's perfectly okay to tell God, I don't understand. I need you to explain this to me. And that's an important thing. And it's it's important that we not pretend to understand things. I've known too many people who were, had prophetic gifts or whatever. And along the way, they assumed that they knew what was going on. But it turns out that frequently what happens is that they saw what fed their own prejudices. I had somebody who had a word one time. They, they saw something in a dream, and then um, they knew that it was of God, that he was speaking to them. And the next morning, she got up and went outside and saw exactly what she had seen in the dream, which was a green limb down in her yard. And 
then she came to me and said, here is what happened. I saw this in a dream, and then I saw this in, in reality this morning. And so here's what I think it means. I think it means something about another person. That other person didn't appear in the dream. They weren't in the reality of it. That The green limb was in her own yard. And, and the word was, what you think is evergreen will be greatly shaken. Well, it didn't have anything to do with this other person. It had to do with her. But she would so disliked the person that she was convinced that it was for him and not for her. And it ended up being very clearly for her in the long run. Um, God was trying to warn her of something in advance, but she wasn't able to hear that because her anger towards this other person was so great that her prejudices were fed by this very bizarre interpretation of, of an event and a dream. And so we've got to be careful that, that, that we don't impose our own prejudices and our own, or even our own hopes on top of something God said to us. And so Zechariah just says, no, I don't understand. You caught me off guard. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord is Zerubbabel the priest not by might nor by power but my my spirit says the lord of hosts who are you O great mountain before zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace grace to it so what is zerubbabel doing well he's rebuilding the temple and so what happens here is is that when he says he bring forward the top stone in other words he will finish the temple He's going to place the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And, and this is early in the rebuilding of the temple in a time when the people were discouraged because they look at the sort of pathetic nature of the work that they're doing and the incredible amount of time it's going to obviously take in looking at this to rebuild the temple to its former splendor. And they're discouraged by that. And so here the, the prophet is getting a word from the Lord to encourage him so that he might encourage the people. And the word of the Lord finishes with the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you for whoever despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So in other words, he's finishing the temple by making sure it's plumb. And so then... He says again, what are the two olive trees to the right and the left of the lampstand? And he asks again, because the angel apparently ignored him the first time. And he says to me, do you not know what these are? He says, no, my Lord. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So that there's the, the olive trees which feed the olive oil into those lampstands. And we've got to stay connected to the source of that oil, to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus. Those things are truly important to us, that we've got to stay connected at all times to the source of our supply. And the source of our supply is Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so here, that's what it is with Zerubbabel. In order to complete this work, he's got to stay connected to the sources of his strength. And the source of strength comes from outside of him, not in him. And it's important that we always remember that lesson, that we remember that, that in order to accomplish anything, the most important thing we can do, if God's given us a task to do, is stay connected deeply with him through this way of the, the olive oil flowing from the trees to the lampstand. And so whatever role we have, whatever we're given to do, to the extent that we stay connected to him, we'll do it, and we'll do it well, and we'll do it right, and it'll get done quicker. 
because we're doing it from the spirit, not from our own spirit. And so that's an important thing. It's an important lesson here for Zerubbabel. And when God gives you a word like that and calls you to himself by giving you some sort of a vision or whatever, then the most important thing you can do is ask him what this means and then stay connected to him. Don't run off and do things in your own power. And so we too often we do that. We get a word from God. We get a vision from God. And we know that we have a ministry. And we run out and we begin to do that ministry or begin to do that whatever it is. And then we do it in our own power and our own spirit. And we mess it up along the way. We've got to be a lot more careful about how we do things. Everything should be done prayerfully. Period. End of sentence. Full stop. And then we should walk in that relationship with him and in this gospel lesson today we read the letter lesson of the paralytic again you know we read this not too long ago where the men come to jesus where he's teaching and they lower him down into the midst of the people there because they can't get to him for the crowds that are there and here we see that same thing just in matthew with some of the some less detail uh it's all it says here is some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed and when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And so in Luke's gospel, what we got was the full story where they got up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, dropped this man, not dropped, but <laughs> lowered him down in front of Jesus. And that's the faith that he sees is that these people are willing to persevere and do anything it takes to get to him because they believe that he is the healer. And so in order to get their friend to him, they've got to take extraordinary measures in order to do that. But they persevere in that, and they persevere in their faith. And so Jesus speaks to this man and says, Take heart, your son, my son, your sins are forgiven. And that's when those who hear him begin to say, This man's blaspheming, because nobody can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins, or the priest, who can do so by receiving your sacrifice. And this man's made no sacrifice. So he... Jesus then looks at them and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk. I mean, it's easy enough to say your sins are forgiven, but rise and walk to a paralytic is a much more difficult thing. But the, the easier is proven by the greater. And so Jesus says, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home, which means, based on the argument that Jesus gave him, was is that if I said rise up and walk, then and the man did it, then that greater accomplishment means that I'm able also to forgive sins. And so the man rose and went home, and the crowds were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men, well, to one man, who then delegated that authority to others, who then later pours out the Holy Spirit on all flesh that we might do greater works than these, Jesus says. And so when we, but we have to remain connected to the vine. We have to abide in him if we're to accomplish anything at all. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so our most important task always, especially if he's given us a particular job to do, is to stay connected to him. To the extent that we're disconnected from him, then we have no power. And we can do nothing at all. This abiding in him is a constant presence. It's not just a when I need you, when I feel like I'm in over my head, because the reality is is that he wants to place us in situations where we're constantly over our heads. And in fact, life is above my pay grade. And the easier it is to get things done uh, has to do with how much we recognize, accept, and walk in that truth that, that life itself is above our pay grades. 
navigating life. It, it feels like we can do that and we can do it naturally and then we run into great difficulty and we don't know how to handle that and we run into situations constantly where we, do, where we don't know what to do. But the reality is, is the walking before that without him that got us into the situations where we don't know what to do. Because the further and further we, we, we've, we've thought we could walk on water and we just continued to do that thing and then suddenly we realize, oh my gosh, this did not go well. And so we cry out to him for help. And it's important for us to always remember that we've got to abide in him. And that's what Paul's speaking of here in this Ephesians passage. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And it's because we've been walking in the futility of our own minds. We've not stayed connected to the source of light, and therefore we become darkened in our understanding. And, and Christians can do that just as well. And when he, It's odd that Paul says this here, and I don't think I'd ever actually noticed this until today. He says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, frequently Paul will say things like, there's neither um, Jew nor Gentile. Well, who are these Gentiles? And, and who, they're Gentiles in relation to whom? Well, they're Gentiles in the sense that they're not Christian. And he says, those people who are disconnected from the source are darkened in their understanding and they walk in the futility of their minds. They become callous and give themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. And then he tells you how to live. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's important that we walk with him always. The practice of the presence of God and the imitation of Christ are two wonderful books, but they're also just simple little reminders of how we're to, how we're to live this life. And so he says, put away falsehood, speak truth to one another, be angry and don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, let the thief no longer steal, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only for such as good as for building up as befits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then he tells us very simply how to live then. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so we've got to put on the mind of Christ as well, and, and, but, it, but it requires a constant abiding. We can't walk away from him for long periods of time and then expect to come back and receive the benefits of that. We've got to walk with him always.